Welcome to Tech Grumps, Tech Grumps 3.03. And today, on Monday, May the 8th, we have guests. Myself, I am the host, Ian Forrester, and I am he, him. And we have Hannah. Uh, hello, back for another round, having sung a sea shanty off the cuff last week. Who knows what'll happen this week? Yes, that sea shanty will be famous. <laughs> uh, and then we have Ryan. Hello, happy to be back. Missed one, I was away. Oh, and my pronouns are he, him. Thank you. Uh, and we have Tim. Hi, this is my first time joining Ian on his magnificent podcast, but I've been a long time listener right from the first season. I'm he, him. Okay, thank you very much. And we have our first topic. Our first topic is AI, artificial intelligence. Is the real Web 3.0, question mark, or Web 3, question mark, or Web 5, question mark? What do people think? I personally Uh, think that, go on. Firstly, I would like to know what these things are. (laughs) What is the difference between Web 3.0 Web 3, now you're introducing Web 5. Please give me some definitions. Okay. Web 3.0 was grifting with NFTs. Web 5.0 is grifting with AI. Which means... (laughs) So Web Web 3.0 was basically everyone going absolutely nuts about cryptocurrency and NFTs and trying to make like it was a new generation and how these these blockchain technologies were going to solve everything but they weren't going to do anything. There, there, were, there are other legitimate uses of blockchain technology, but nobody cares about them. And there's no way to get to them without offering sucker and support to all of the people who are grifting NFTs. And then the moment something more important and shiny than NFTs showed up, AKA AI, which is also known as large language models, which is something that I'd be have to talk about. So LLMs is a really good way to distinguish a specific form of AI. Um, if you haven't read Simon Willison's excellent blog posts all over this stuff. I'd go go look at Simon Wilson's web blog. He's really on top of it. Um, but basically, uh, a, a basically what happened is in the intellectual sphere, in the, in the, in the buzz sphere, ooh, um, AIs in the last six months just ate all of NFTs lunch. And now all the people who were busy trying to sell us NFTs as a way to make quick money are now trying to sell us AI, AI and LLMs as a way to quick, make quick money. But Unlike NFTs, AIs actually do something and might actually be dangerous. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> I was laughing all the way through that. <laughs> um, did that make it clearer for you, Hannah? <laughs> uh, we have loads of questions now from that. <laughs> I, so I have like a, a, an understanding of blockchain and how it works. Um, I suppose... My question for you, Ian, is how does this how does this affect me? Like your average kind of <laughs> tech knowledge, not that great, but attempts to use it. So for that answer, I think you should turn to Ryan because I think Ryan might have a better and more funnier answer than I would have. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Go how on, does Hannah. this affect me as a your average person like I don't know a great deal about tech but I know kind of enough to be able to read articles on it so I mean what's the how is it different 
NFTs and blockchains really didn't have much of a chance to impact you if you didn't get sucked into the grift of them. Um, large language models do. Large language models are going to start and already have started costing people their jobs as companies decide that, you know, lower quality but free is better than higher quality but costs some money. Um, and part of the thing about that is that we are at we're, we're not at the very beginning of large language models. So to talk about LLMs, they let computers produce highly digestible text, like text that you can't tell wasn't written by a computer unless you look really hard at it. And that is the thing that a lot of people have been waiting for. Um, and it's replacing things like writing jobs. You can go to one of the better LLMs and say, hi, write me a science fiction story that's 5,000 words long and that covers a Martian kid who's an alien from Earth and he's fighting with polar bears. And I just made all that up. And But the thing that I didn't make up is that right now many major publishing houses of science fiction are having to shut down their applications, their submissions departments, because people have figured this out and are flooding them with AI-generated science fiction submissions and it takes so long and in some cases is only tellable because it's not very good quality to determine the AI generated stuff from the non AI generated stuff that that's actually impacting. I mean, NFTs didn't add anything. AI can generate content and that's the whole new web is content. Yeah. I'd, I'd, oh, sorry. I was just going to add to that. It's um, even so you, how it impacts you. So even if it, even if you can determine what's um what's generated what's not generated um what you're gonna see is the flood just like it's literally like the tsunami of this stuff and that's the real problem i feel it's like you're gonna you just get so much so as ryan's already said that you know publishers are already starting to close their doors because they're probably getting so much they haven't got the they just can't determine what's what's real what's not real or what's generated by um by i'll say uh at a large language model instead of ai because i do that's also something that ryan joked about but he's quite serious about and i think that that is a serious point that we need to talk more about so this is less about the shape of the web and more about how things are being put onto it that's a really good point. It doesn't change the shape of the web per se, um, not yet. It is feasible. It is. It has the because the the, lang the large language models are capable of coding. Like I, when this first started, I was I said, hey, write me a Python script to interact with the Twitter API. Not that that's a thing anymore, um, but and it and it wrote me Python script that did it. And I looked at it and went. It'd take me a second. I'd want to run it through something called a linter, which is something that checks for errors. But like from an initial glance of someone who's coded Python, I went, holy poop. That's real Python, bro. Oof. Um, so right now it's driving content, but there's lots of people who are coming up with ways to do this. And I'll, I'll make a metaphorical model real quick about how it can affect the shape of the web that we haven't seen. Um, they have been using for a long time some computer intelligence to do things like 
do enhanced modeling of objects. Uh, there's examples of joining uh, of like um, metallic joining structures that they were using in NASA that were being generated by AIs that were and they look kind of weird. They look almost organic and alien, but it turns out they have the same holding and tensile strength that other joins had before, but with like one third less metal being used and therefore one third less weight, which is really important if you're sending stuff up to space because everything's expensive. Um, but the way that that principle could also start to apply in the long term to how we actually do our networking. It is there are probably people right now running models on, hey, is there any way we could hook up these computers differently in a way that's more efficient, that saves us money, that lets us do this? And they can just throw this problem at an, at an AI with a learning model. And eventually they'll come up with, hey, this looks really weird. But if you make everyone wear a postage stamp on their head, this works. I mean, it's 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 that far out of left field, but they're but they could do that, and that could radically change how things are structured. I don't think we're there yet, but that is a possibility. So, right, yes, mostly content, but wait for it. I think that I think, and you've actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought it back to the shape of the web because, or the shape of the internet, is that I I do foresee. Um, the, the shape of the internet changing because of this, because because of the the overload of of um, you know generated content and generated and it, and and Ryan's correct. I mean, I, I have even myself have used um, Bard to to do a few things, um, mainly to write bash scripts, which I kind of understand, but you know it kind of like pools enough that I can try it locally and just see, oh, that, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, uh, I haven't done anything more than that, but I could see um, they're becoming, I think this, I can't remember. I was looking at DeviantArt the other day, uh, today. Um, and I was wondering, I, I think that DeviantArt might have, I think it's one of them. I think DeviantArt is one of them that might be, everything that goes into DeviantArt has to be created by a human. Uh, rather than auto-generated, um, uh, I'm going to say auto, you know, is a lieu for AI or large um, language model. But I, I do think that you're going to start to see these kind of separations, um, and there will be a kind of web that's like, well, we definitely don't do this, and we work really hard to make sure that that stuff never appears in here. And other people will be like, well, you know what, we're just going to do everything, and you can have it all and it will just generate it for you whenever you like it, you know, and I think that that shape of the web will change because of that. Thoughts? What to say to that, Hannah? Or Ryan? Or Tim, if he gets his microphone sorted? I suppose the, um, the thing is, you can never really be certain what has been human generated at this point. So having that kind of policy of saying, well, it has to be human generated, is already a little bit flawed. I mean, you can human create digital content quite easily. So at what point do we say something is human created and at what point do we say it's not? Like there's quite a difficult line to tread there. And I suppose the other thing is what's what's in it for the humans giving up their, <laughs> their art? Like I, I, I have worked for a content mill, I was, the predecessor to ChatGPT being given keywords, links, 500 words, and a blog 
somewhere random. You're um, that person who emails me and says, hey, write this thing for, yeah, I'd like to add this thing to your blog, right? <laughs> me personally, no, but I probably, hope not. <laughs> probably I will have written some content. And so there's part of me that's kind of like okay with that job not really existing anymore because I was being paid £7 for 500 words, which at the time meant that I had about 30 minutes to write 500 words. It wasn't a great job. Um, on the other hand, it was a start. Like, you know, can't complain about it. What worries me more is the lack of respect for artistry. But then when has art ever been respected? You know, <laughs> you have people just sort of think that musicians just turn up and play. But like so much of our culture is based on that. And yet we don't fund like kids in schools. So I suppose this is the thing, like the more we devalue what is human and the more we push it into these systems, I, I have concerns about that. Not because people will stop creating. I don't think that will happen. I think we have an instinct to create, but just these little lines, these little ethical lines that I'm not sure I know how to navigate. I think it's telling how you shifted without even pausing between the concepts of valuing and the concepts of being paid. Sure. But because this is kind of... I think we wouldn't care as much it. if people weren't, if we didn't need people to get paid for their art. I completely agree. I absolutely agree. And this is one of the things that I argue with Ian about a lot, is mm. the idea of copyright. Because... Yeah. On the one hand, if I could just write novels and I could live and eat and be comfortable and that would be what I did, then that would be absolutely amazing for me. I'm more than happy to do that and I would produce so much more. But the reality is that because I have to hold down a job, I barely do any of any creative writing. So we kind of in that mindset of value. So I agree with you. If we could get rid of the idea that everything has to have a monetary value, then I would be completely on board. And I think that's kind of where this, the ethical line is, isn't it? Is because we could have that, but we're not quite ready for that huge paradigm shift. We have a system in place that's already designed to funnel any excess. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're here, I'm just gonna I'll just throw out late stage capitalism. That's, that's what we're talking about is, is mm -hmm. this is a late stage capitalism problem. And what's going on is this is going to accelerate that. I mean, we could, I, I believe, we could solve a lot of these problems with a decent universal basic income, and then the people who want to strive for more could get to strive for more, and the people who don't want to strive for more could hang out, make art, and do the things they wanted to do and contribute to society in other ways. But the thing is that the people who are siphoning off money and taking money and getting more and more money, they just can't seem to turn the dial on their engines down just enough. The thing that frustrates me so much is that they don't have to stop. They just have to rein it the F in just a little bit. There's so much excess right now that we could all be doing great and they could still be on their yachts. They so were literally talking like maybe get the gold leaf detailing rather than the solid gold toilet seats on your yacht. That's the degree of which we're asking them to give up and they just can't. You know, you could, you could swear on this podcast. We're already adult. Oh, okay, uh, great. <laughs> Good uh, but, I'm sorry. I just came back from holiday, and I and I was spending a lot of time around my two and a half year old niece, and I was invoking my D swearing <laughs> mechanisms during that time. I'm still a little bit on that track. Like, what the frack is this? He said, staring at his niece, going, "Oh," and 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 more importantly, his sister going, "Don't, don't, 
don't teach her those dare. words. Don't you dare. <laughs> um, no, I, I, so I, I, I know we have to move on, but um, I completely agree. I think I, I, I could channel, well, I can't channel um, Mario Masakata, um, but if you've not seen any of her lectures or her books um, about this stuff, or I mean, there's so many authors that are talking about this, and um, I think you're absolutely right. All you need to do is just dial it back a little bit. Yeah, you, know, you don't need all of this stuff you don't need you, you could I, there's so much more you could do i think it'd be really interesting to have a discussion about the um universal basic income because i also used to think a lot of the similar things but then i i've also been very clear well people have clearly told me that it's been pushed by certain people as a certain agenda and it may not be necessarily what we think it may be yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of research actually that has to be done to decide how we want to proceed, which I think is why it's, it has been a really interesting discussion that we've started at uh, this idea of um, having NFTs and AI, and we've already landed into like <laughs> completely changing how we organize ourselves economically, culturally, like who we are as people. I think it's fascinating that we've we've come so far in just a few minutes so maybe the question really is or the answer is that or the question that actually is that um rather than how it shaped the the um the the web or the internet but rather how it's going to shape culture in ourselves yeah the other more practical question is i mean because if any of us had the individual power to switch off late stage late stage capitalism we'd have done it by now so if the, the real question is, what are practical techniques to surviving this part of the world? And to that, the best answer I've had so far is basically learn how to use the tools and hold on to the tiger. You know, stay, stay, stay holding on to the back of it. Um, luckily, we're all fairly smart people. We're all technically savvy people. This is a privilege. But this lets us, you know, at least utilize these technologies to accelerate ourselves at the same time as everything else is accelerating and maybe keep ourselves on top of the curve long enough for society to figure out that they don't want everyone to die. I think that's generally my approach too, um, would be to, to try and tame the technology and then hold on. Um, and, but I mean, I, I kind of think if we think back to other paradigm shifts, in the 20th century, you know, where we've had kind of mechanized food production, um, the industrial complex and so on. Um, you know, all of these things had the ability almost individually to create huge improvements for humanity beyond what we've actually seen. Um, you know, we could have solved world, world hunger. Doesn't actually seem like we've actually done that. Um, AI could solve the problem of everybody needing to go to work. I, I'm going to put my hand up and say my gut feeling is that's not what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like loads of people will kind of hold it up and say this is like the magic bullet or this is the end of the world. And it's probably neither. Um, it's probably just a big change, a interesting change and, and one that we should my recommendation to anybody listening would be to to grab hold of and try and ride. Um, but at the same time, it, it, you know, this too will pass and will become normal. Any last thoughts before we move on? 
Yes, I think that what we're going to see is not a complete erasure of these jobs, but like Hannah, you were talking about being a content producer. What's going to happen is, you know, all of these, all of this stuff exists in a complex, complex ecosystem. Uh, it starts off at the ground level, just like food starts off as farmers, then there's processing and processing and packaging and processing. And what we're going to, and what AIs, what the large language models are doing right now is they're taking over the lower production levels of content and people's, their jobs are just going to shift up the chain. They're going to become more efficient. They're almost certainly not going to get paid anymore. Yeah, but but that's that's I think what's going to happen is we're going to see the jobs moving up. I am I'm interested because right now, basically I've shifted into peopling. I'm I'm an engineering manager by trade now, and I came from 20 years of coding. I got out of looks like I got out of coding in time because the machines are about to start doing that. But I I hopefully right now we're always going to need people to people, and even that's getting a little bit interesting. And there's a, another discussion to have about that later, which is when hum, when when people when when you start getting computers to human. And what I mean by human is I mean really building these, acting as agents in these fundamental connections between individuals and how that works, does it work? Because there's already stories about that too. On that cherry notes. That can be a topic for the next Tech Grumps. <laughs> we could uh, move to the next topic. Decarbonization technologies. I'm really bad at saying that. Um, does anyone want to pick up on this? What do we mean by decarbonization technologies? Yeah, so this is something that's really interested me in the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, I don't know quite how it so much has ended up sort of in front of me, but it seems like all I've been reading about is decarbonization. There are two things um, that I'd like to talk about. Um, so there's an article in the New York Times recently that is it's about decarb bros. And it's this kind of idea that in order to get men and young men excited about saving the planet, they need to have this sort of masculinity attached to how we're going to do that. And a large proportion of this is to do with the technology that goes into decarbonization. So Whereas planting trees and having biodiversity and gardens, these are quite feminine for reasons I can't explain. Instead, they're looking at sort of trying to make things like electric cars cool. Like how do we make men interested in this? So that's kind of the first angle is why, why do men need things to be masculine? in order for them to get excited about a technology that will potentially save the planet. And the second thing is, is really, if that's the route that we're gonna take with decarbonization, and we're gonna go down this tech route, where is the balance between reducing the emissions in the first place and dealing with the emissions that we've already created? So, yeah, question for the group. Um, you've all declared yourselves he hims. So, oh, guys, oh. what is wrong? Hannah, Hannah, man, I, I, oh my goodness, this. As soon as you said decar bros, I, I, it all came back. I actually have heard this. I've, I've actually, we talked about this at work. Um, I won't reveal the details of what we talked about, but that exact story, and I was shaking my head. I was literally like, I can't, I can't believe 
that it's got to a point where we're trying to sell saving the planet to men because it's not because it's too feminine i'm just like i just can't i i can't bring myself i literally ryan help me out here help me <laughs> at what at what cost do we save the planet if we coddle toxic men to the point where they never have to confront their toxic masculinity in the first place you may very well be asking the wrong men in this channel on the other hand here's the funny part i up until you said it i had no idea that decarbonizing bros is a thing and the moment you said it i knew exactly what the fuck it was and i hated it with a fiery passion in my heart because and and but here's the thing you're not wrong there okay i'm gonna make a recommendation there is a really good book that came out i think last year and it's called the ministry for the future it's by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's a science fiction book. Uh, Tim's holding up his finger and wants to say something. Tim, you want to jump in with that? Oh, no, no. At the end of your flight, do. Okay, so the thing about the book that I, there's a lot of things I liked about the book. One of the things I liked about the book was that they actually presented a, a not bad case for using crypt, cryptocurrency or blockchain technology for a currency that actually made sense and wasn't horrible. But the other thing that was really important in the book was that so, so the book is about how Earth in the near future basically digs itself out of the climate crisis. And there's a, and the thing about it is there's no one thing. There's no one thing that does it. It's a bunch of different things that come together that we try. And some of the things that we try are absolutely stopgap measures. They're like, this isn't going to work forever, but it's worked for a while. It's going to buy us some time so that we don't freaking die on this planet. And and we just have to accept. And this is this is the... There's, there's a, I, so I'm, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from America, but I live in the UK. And one of the things I like about the UK is that they have a harm reduction methodology mindset. A lot of cases here comes from having shared social resources like the NHS. The reason why I bring up hard reduction is because the hardest thing about harm reduction is letting go of your own internal rage that you are letting people get away with shit that they don't, you shouldn't think they should be able to get away with, but it's more important to save them. This is the problem people have with needle exchanges. They're like, we shouldn't give junkies needles. We, we shouldn't give these people, we shouldn't cotton it. It's like, yes, but if we do, less people die. And that's, that's, that's the emotion that you have to deal with, like with carbonization bros, to bring it back to the point. It's the thing of, I hate that we're doing this, but if it moves us in the direction, maybe we should swallow our discomfort. I feel like um, there's a whole bunch of uh, men who are attracted to problems that seem somewhat hazy so we've got cryptocurrency um something that has not entirely proven itself as a uh, mature technology with a use case um beyond buying drugs um and there's a whole bunch of kind of other topics that seem to fit into the same thing and what's interesting about decarbonization technology is that it's completely unproven. So it has the same kind of snake oil um, effect to it. Super important, um, super kind of, you know, seems worthy um, to the people who are, who are, who are followers of it, um, but it's not proven. It's not got lots of backing behind it. And maybe there's, there's groups of men who are attracted to these types of communities and these types of problems. We've got like affiliate marketing 
being another type of area that seems to attract people who um, perhaps uh, we might find more unpalatable. Um, and I just wonder if, if yeah, decarbonisation technology, because it isn't proven, because it's this kind of snake oil, just vision, just, just whatever, um, just attracts people in the same kind of snake oil cryptocurrency landscape. Um, and maybe there's some kind of link there. I know that um, there was an interview that I was listening to, and I cannot remember who it was, but um, they were they, they were they were basically saying, you know, we've got this far with our technology. Yeah, the technology, follow the technology, we will the technology will get us out of this. And I was raging at I was I think it was a podcast, so I was raging. And but I do hear what Ryan's saying. I I think for all of my hate of having to and Oh, yeah, all this hate of like my my hate of like having to convince you know, I'm gonna say men generally I'm not gonna you know um but I I I just I, I think if we could get them to do anything anything at all even if it means kind of like you know maybe funded some of that research to see if this stuff works. Although I would say that probably that research should, that money should probably go somewhere else. But at least that I'm thinking that they'll probably spend that money on something like a, a new car for themselves, or they can spend the money on the research that could. Um, so I do think that there's something there. I, I still have a really hard time, uh, but then I'm not talking to people who, well, maybe I'm not talking to enough people that are kind of like, you know, Climate change is, I don't call it climate change, I call it climate collapse to make it very clear what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a nice change, little summer, a little bit hotter, and we're talking about collapse. And it, it sounds harsh because it's going to be harsh. And I think that makes that kind of the words, the terminology um, makes it a lot clearer. And maybe that's kind of what, by trying to make it sound more, appeal to certain demographics certain people i'm going to say uh in this case uh men that maybe that's just a trick to get them to do something and to spend that money somewhere else or spend their time and effort somewhere which is going to benefit in the long run yeah i think what really fascinates me about this is our general desire to be part of a club that we all kind of want to be part of a team that has shared beliefs and I think in the UK and especially in the US this polarization effect has pushed people to create these quite firm groups of this is what we believe and this is how we work and I think that it kind of amuses me that we need this kind of masculine in very heavy air quotes, approach to climate collapse, as you have now called it. And I, I, kind, of, I kind of get it, like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it in the sense that at least people, different people are now talking about it. And I have to say as well that 
there are women who call themselves sort of decarb bros. It's not exclusively men, even though it clearly has that kind of male tilt to it. So on the one hand, I think it's quite interesting that people are beginning to create these groups for themselves to make themselves into a community about that. But on the other hand, it also feels quite exclusive, which is where I find problems. Go on, Tim. I think this is particularly one area where, so I, I think Hannah just made some, some splendid points and, and I, I tend to agree with her. And, and I do find it amusing that, um, you know, people people have, have, have branded this in some certain way. I think saving the planet is something that needs to be for everyone. So if, if it takes um, us to brand saving the planet with pink sparkly unicorns, then I'm down for that. Like if that's the only way of get, reaching a certain demographic, I'm down with that. If we have to brand saving the planet with diesel and with um, kind of like diesel and big, big wheels, something with four wheels that are very large, um, then, and, and that's the only way to reach a demographic and get them psyched about how they're going to save the planet the best, um, then I'm done with that. I'm, I'm, uh, so yeah, I, I thought about this a bit more. Um, I am okay. So I, my part of me is like thinking, you know, saving the planet, but keeping, but withholding the the patriarchy, which is a problem in my head. But um, I'm the thing that I think the one of the big problems is that is these kind of untested, unrealized um, kind of technologies and. If we can lure them, lure them, lure people away from some of the the kind of the magic, this will save, this will decarbonize everything, kind of stuff. To you know, to other stuff that's that's actually been proven. Um, I think that's probably something worth doing. But I do have a problem with that kind of the patriarchy. Save, I don't know. I, I think they, they should be both together. It shouldn't be one or the other. Go on, Ryan. Ian, I, go on, go Ryan. ahead, Tim. Okay, so real oh. quick. Okay, okay, real quick. First, to, wanted to jump back to another point real quick. One of the pro I don't have a problem with tribalism as long as it's identified in the person. The real problem with any kind of group or tribalism think comes from when that group defines itself as not the other group. Because when you have that as, an, as a group identifier, it becomes impossible to find common ground by its definition. It's like, I don't know whatever you're for, I'm against it. I don't want it because you're the bad person and I don't, I don't want what you want. And that makes compromise impossible. Progress cannot happen. And a lot of the US, particularly the more conservative side is tied up in whatever them lefty loony liberals want, I want none of it. And it's like, we want to save the planet. Well, I want to kill the planet. That, that, is, that, that is a big problem. Um, in addition to that, I want to talk about Ian's point. Um, here's the thing. The carbon bros have a certain, and this is this is compromise. This is thing. The, the premise that the carbon bros money is going to go to anything that doesn't make them think their dick is big is wrong. Like it's all, it's all hero dick sizing stuff for them. Look at all, I mean, everybody's shooting a cock into the sky right now. That's toxic masculinity writ large. Like everyone's got to penetrate the upper atmosphere. What are you compensating for? 
But that the way you compromise, the way you get that is you divert that's like you think that's really cool. Imagine how awesome it would be if you tried to take this angel money that you're trying to put into yet another NFT and put it into this pie in the sky possibility carbon sequestering plan. And and here's the thing, like if you want to waste basically it's like this money isn't going to go to public services this money isn't going to go to established technologies because that's oh boring i'm a cool crypto person i want i want my tech to go into fancy shit so in the realm of where you can move it moving it from shooting phalluses into the sky to working on technology that grabs tech that like cool tech that'll sequester carbon and will also look like a giant cock for some reason then <laughs> then then that's then that's free money to the that's free money to the cause money that wouldn't go to the cause otherwise because we're not going to get them to throw money at moving us to solar because they're tired of that technology and that's that's the difficult part i agree it'd be great if everyone got on the same page and put the money to the most effective technologies but the money that we're talking about with decarb bros is money that just it's it's all money that they have already in their head earmarked to self-aggrandizing angel funding startups that they hope are their tickets to glory and fame and you know whatever i've made enough dick jokes by now <laughs> i agree with you um on all counts um i think one of the things that ian said that i found interesting was that he was so against funding unproven technologies when actually they're not going to be proven until they're proven so I, I kind of like the idea, in a way, that there is this group of people who maybe their heads are in the clouds, maybe it's all self-aggrandizing, but maybe they're going to accidentally fund something incredible. And I quite like the idea as a seed of potential, if nothing else. I'm not saying it has to be everything, and this is part of the polarization thing, isn't it, is to say, okay, cool. I'm going to plant some trees, but if you want to do that, then thank you for your contribution. At least you are thinking about it. Or, or if you wanted to go into extreme, extremes, be like, imagine how much it would piss off the leftists if you beat them to this technology, and you're the one who saved the planet <laughs> with your glorious, with, with your glorious commercial capitalism libertarian ideals. Imagine how great it would be, and how and how much everyone would love you if you did that and how much it would make all of the liberals angry. And if we're smart, we'll go like, oh yes, please don't do that. We would be so angry that you saved the planet and we didn't. Boo freaking ooh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And you say, that, you say that, Ryan, like it's like it's never been done before, but in, <laughs> yeah. in, in other political you know, uh, spheres in the world, that is what happens. So in Germany, the Green Party um, or the, the Conservative Party there, the CWP is has some of the like most green policies in Europe and you go what green recycling like all of and you're like yes actually they have a very kind of progressive view on that they're they're socially conservative in all other kind of ways and I imagine that's good for the the people who support them um but the things that you know from our point of view as planet planet inhabitants like we are the thing that we should be very happy about is that yes, they care about the planet and they seem to be doing a great job there. And I don't feel like, I feel like, as you say, the kind of us and them, you you have to, if, if the left are for saving the planet, then I have to be against it. That's completely wrong. And we should just put that all to bed. Um, and and I, as much as 
I, you know, resonate with Ian's point that he, he's, he's less keen on keeping the patriarchy and saving the planet um, and would prefer to, you know, solve both problems, which I'd just like to point out is completely valid. Um, yeah, it's still quite hard to do both at the same time. Oh, so, yeah. If I had to make a choice, I would rather have a planet that's sort of viable for me to then take down the patriarchy. Like, there's no point in taking down the patriarchy if I'm not going to survive to, like, see it crumble. Do you know what I mean? I have a hierarchy of views. I'm sure there are people who will strongly disagree. But I don't think that there are, they necessarily need to be divergent goals either. But, you know, if we're going to be honest about it, I'd rather have a planet. <laughs> so I Okay, so just because uh, I know we're, we're getting close to time um so i am in favor of of testing or researching untested technologies just to be clear um so she's someone who works in emerging technology um I, my 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 more my concern is that i'm seeing the snake oil type stuff i'm seeing hey fund it into this thing and it's been like the the at least the primary research that's been done is that the the effect of it is so minimal that you're better off planting you know 50 trees and you'll have the same effect it's those kind of things that it because it sounds incredibly you know like i i love it when tim said put diesel on it um i'm literally thinking about diesel oil which i'm a bit like that can't that can't work right uh unless i literally about diesel i don't know the point is that um i'm i i think that there's some things that are being pushed that are that are literally almost like snake oil and I, you will get that you get that on everything and we talked about it earlier but I'm I'm worried about that kind of like funneling the money away from the stuff that that could actually be useful, like you know, primary research into new types of of uh, you know, or better ways to do solar or wind or you know, um, I think it's a whole bunch of things, and I think I want to make sure that if we're funding the money away, that it's definitely funneling money away. The person who's funding the money is getting it into the right place, not just like basically put it in their own bank account yeah. um to to make their their bunker in new zealand um look even more jazzy than that it does now there's also a problem with the idea that's really common now of carbon sequestering or carbon offsetting which is like you're not solving the problem you're literally just paying off people um you'd you, like you, the, the, there's still a problem there's going to be an interesting point at which like part of this is that there, there's going to be a point in the future where we have to talk about, hopefully, um, how much energy we just use in general. Like it doesn't make like like the, the there's the there's there's two problems here. There's the pollution and waste that we generate by generating the electricity, and then there's the waste heat and other stuff that we generate by using the electricity. And we've gotten better on both ends. We we're getting cleaner and cleaner technologies. We've just had we've just had fusion that puts out more than you put in. That's great. That's a step in the right direction. That's what everyone wants to get to because fusion makes fusions the fusions the holy grail. Once we get to decent fusion, we're gonna hopefully have really super about the cleanest energy you could make. Um, 
and then but then once we have diffusion and energy becomes super cheap then what do we do about everyone overusing energy to the point where the planet's just heating up from all the energy use and at some point in time we're going to have to and again we can lower energy stuff but at a certain point we got to look like hey we need to stop being gluttons with energy as well on both ends which again is where capitalism actually is kind of handy because as energy prices have risen i've turned everything off <laughs> I mean, I already hardly used any energy being a student, but I turned everything off and lots of people have turned everything off. So, yeah, once again, it's that line, isn't it? Of like, it's annoying that we have to be pushed into it, but I think we are being. And now wider groups are clearly being pushed as well. And our last subject for the day is blue sky versus mastodon this is something that um it's come up recently um i, I am actually I, I have to admit i am on blue sky i'm also a mastodon i mean a mastodon since 2017 um ask me anything <laughs> i would like right. to immediately so jump I'm, in I'm a, I'm a tech user ian what is blue sky i've seen it like going on I know what Mastodon is, but maybe you could like also quickly explain what that is. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Maybe you can explain it in the context of people who are on Twitter. Excellent question. That is what I was going to ask. Okay. Um, I would say Blue Sky is an invite-only decentralized um, uh, microblogging service. It's basically Twitter. It looks like Twitter. It looks like Twitter from about 10 years ago it looks it was exactly the same but you, you, when you sign up when you so when you get your invite the default server is the blue sky server you can in the future uh, rename that to ian's cubic garden or hannah's whatever she would like or ryan's whatever he would like you know so you could do that, but right now it only does, uh, only connects to this one uh, server, which is a kind of a beta server. Um, it looks exactly like Twitter. The, you can literally post, uh, I think, up to 300, um, 300 characters, um, so not as much as Mastodon. Um, you can post images. You can't post GIFs. Uh, well, it's kind of a static. Um, you can't post videos. There are hashtags you can follow. And also the other key thing is that it's only who you follow or you can kind of, there's a kind of like, see uh, like what's interesting. Um, I think in the future you will be able to have other views, but it's very much like, if you feel like Twitter 10 years ago, you are pretty much on the right track. How does that sound? I don't. I didn't explain Mastodon, but I think we talked about Mastodon last time, so I don't know. I mean, I can talk about it if you want me to. Um, in could in relation to this, that so Mastodon is very similar. It's a microblogging blogging service, but it works. It was a decentralized microblogging web um, service, but um, it uses a thing called Activity Pub, which means you can do a lot more. You can also post up to 500 characters um it's i would say it's more mature in the way it, it kind of it can do you can post videos you can post other things not just um images um there are hashtags 
Um, but when you sign up, well, up until recently, you had to pick a server. So that means that you didn't get a default server where everyone was. You had to pick one. They all have rules and you have to apply by those rules. And you can, because it's uh, federated, you can still talk to your friends on other servers. There's a whole piece about that, which um, I could talk about, but I don't want to waste your time. Right, Tim. so Ian, my question here is, why is Blue Sky going to win compared to Mastodon or going to make any kind of difference compared to... I mean, Ryan might, might be able to answer this too. Um, is it going to make any kind of difference compared to what's come before? So just to give a tiny bit of context, I used to be on Identica, which was uh, Mastodon before Mastodon, and I helped fund Diaspora, which tried to be uh, Mastodon, but for Facebook. Um, and both of those had limited amounts of lack of success. Um, and so, and the things that I kind of really noticed was that, sure, they're like an open source project. Sure, they attract niche communities who have kind of similar interests slightly um, and maybe a bit countercultural, but they really fail to break into like the mainstream the main community, the main kind of main main thoroughfare. So um, I'm really kind of keen to, to hear if anybody has any suggestions of how any of these can move into that 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 main um, general adoption sphere. Ryan, it looks like you've got you've got some thoughts. I wanted to make so from what you described about Blue Sky and what I've seen of it, I have this I had this odd metaphor which is like Mastodon is Linux and Blue Sky is OS X. Blue Sky has this walled garden, pseudo walled garden advantage in that it has a unified style and, a, and and it doesn't have the sprawl that an open source system will have. But right now that can be really beneficial, especially for less tech savvy users. It's familiar, limited thing, easy adoption. And right now it had, definitely has the buzz of, oh, it's the elite place to go. Oh, you need an invite for that. And that's definitely be that. Um, Which as, is how Facebook started. Yeah. and And Tim, actually, the way I see that, so what you're talking about is an adoption problem. And the best answer I can give is that doing what Ian does solves this. And what that is, is, and, and this is the secret. This is what they do. This is, if you look at Corey Doctorow's in Shitification, he covers some of this too. What it is, is that you, you basically make your content and then you make, and then you broadcast your content on all channels. So you post to Twitter, you post to Mastodon, you post to Blue Sky, you post to Facebook, you post to Instagram, you just fucking post it everywhere. And the reason, and, and the way that solves the problem is it lets people choose their channel to get to you. Uh, and the, the real problem with any of these platforms is adoption and I don't want to lose my friends and some of my friends won't move. So I stay and they have you by your relationships. Um, and that's why these places in my experience don't take off is because you know my friends aren't there that's why i mean i was on mastodon 2017 as well and there was nobody fucking there and then like you know twitter starts you know blue skying into the you know you know spacexing into the ground and then all of a sudden it's like mastodon and i'm like oh i should go set up an account oh I already have one. Holy crap, I've had one for five years. And then I look and it's like, literally, I have this embarrassing post going from five years ago going, waiting for any of my friends to show up here and nothing's there. So I would say, I think your your notion of the Mac versus Linux kind of um, is an interesting one. Um, I would say that 
my my problem with all of this, and I'm going to shortcut to the very end because I have, a, I have a, a whole thing that I need to write a blog about. Um, Blue Sky is literally almost like forget about Twitter. I could see Blue Sky becoming that will be Twitter. Yeah, that will become the the place where most people go. That's where they go and do their microblogging. They go promote whatever they want. I could see that happening. Um, the, the the problem I see is that there's this kind of fight between Mastodon and and uh, Blue Sky. I don't think that's true. I think what actually what I think more important about Mastodon is is uh, the Fediverse and um, and um, was it Activity Pub? Because for example, I can subscribe to someone who's on PixelFed and have and see their pictures in my Mastodon feed. And that kind of thing is not what Blue Sky has, but Blue Sky doesn't have the ambition to do that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a DJ. I'm posting stuff on on um uh, PeerTube. I know oh. PeerTube. So I can post stuff on PeerTube and then you can subscribe to me on your Mastodon and just listen to my mixes in my in your in your normal um reader. And I think stuff like that is the stuff that um Blue Sky's not even interested in, not even bothered about. Um, maybe in very much in the future they will, but then that's that's might be. But I think right now you could do this with Mastodon, and I think the focus on Mastodon is a problem. And I've said this more many many times: is that don't focus on Mastodon, focus on the Fediverse and Activity Pub. Do you remember back in the Thank day you. when we all had RSS readers? I still have an RSS reader. So do I, but. It's getting more and more frustrating that people do but like the thing about the RSS reader is the great democratizer in many ways, because you could just go it, the, the thing the thing that it made it easy was like, I want to watch this, show me when new shit shows up. And it just it the problem was that they couldn't find a way to monetize it effectively and sites decided that putting their content out to, you know, that, that it was more worth it for them to drive you to their site to look at all their banner ads. Than to you and then and the thing is that so many so few of them figured out it's like I'm if you just make a feed that would tell me there's something new I'll probably click through if I like it but I think there's a bit of that I think I think the Fediverse is about that now there's I want to click real quick about the Fediverse there's gonna be just a little bit of a future goggles on there's going to be a really interesting thing that's already going on about the Fediverse that we haven't thought about yet and that's the emergent behavior of the various blocking rules and content that occurs in the Fediverse I was on one of the very big servers that only existed in 2017 and as a result of that for a brief period of time um, there was a block on my server because a whole bunch of assholes got on it and a whole bunch of people who were putting like you know, homophobic bullshit out because it was the most popular one. It's the one everyone went to first. And a lot of the kind of the more queer facing, the more kind of really, you know, trying to make a safe space ones just went, you know what? Fuck your whole server. We're not going to let any of it in. Uh, and and that's the thing we're going to see is that the thing that happens with when you move away from a monolith is you lose the guarantees of the monolith. Yeah, and you kind of, you, you may see microblogging end up in a world a bit like email and that you know to many people that's the dream isn't it you know gosh we love email it's democratized anybody can use it if you actually kind of go around this room and ask people who their email is hosted with i bet you could count i bet you could guess before you even ask them like the providers on one hand uh, ian will probably like say oh well it's actually different um because because i'm being being difficult here but I went around a group of friends and 
um, they were all hosted on the same provider, co almost completely destroying the point of you know email's openness. Um, and basically because the spam filters of that provider are possibly some of the best in the world. And that's perhaps what you might see with kind of a developed Fediverse. But unfortunately, my, my view is that it, without some kind of dramatic event occurring, I don't, I see a lot of kind of blue sky thinking, see what I did there, but um, I don't see it actually likely to happen in real life. So just because I know we've got to wrap up, um, I do think that blue sky will be more amenable to sort of monetization stuff. And because I could see stars going there, celebrities going there, because it is a very, it is very much, what's again, Twitter 10 years ago, um, and you pretty much got it. Or even like eight years ago, you know, there, I could see loads of celebrities there. I could see um, that kind of thing working and all the stuff that works on Twitter um, before they started doing all the kind of uh, other stuff could work. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just also add that the Fediverse has yeah. many different ways that people have not. I know that really there are instances where you have to pay to be part of the community, and they, that's how they fund stuff like that. This has been a problem since technology began. Uh, how yeah. many of you? How many of you are familiar with the phrase? I think it's forever September. Yep. Okay. So back in the day, and I'm talking way back, the internet used to only be accessible, especially like news groups and other stuff like old days the only time you'd get people coming into the internet was usually through universities and colleges that was the places like for a number of years for a long stretch of time that was where you could get on and they had something that was just called september and the problem was september was when the new college year started and all these fucking noobs would come into all the groups and all these group discussions the level of discussion would just drop because new people would come in and be like hey i don't know this everything <laughs> sorry i just suddenly realized i was maybe painting a picture of hannah which is not cool but but like like but like we recognize but there was this thing about september that was this early adoption and this exclusivity of it that, that that once everyone was in and the doors were closed it suddenly became like a lock-in and then like you could start to really talk about stuff because everyone there you knew was there forever and forever september was the effect of this interesting problem of how do you both make a space for new people but allow discussions that can be elevated past the level of what new people don't what 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 new people would be expected to know this is the problem with social media in general though is it is is it is that we try to create all of these different kinds of town squares but then we're all really upset that people want to talk in them <laughs> yeah <laughs> who invited these village idiots the village you're in the village <laughs> That's that's where it comes from, and the village um, is just getting bigger. Yeah, and and that's that's one of the things about kind of the, and because of this, there's this been this interesting little thing, which is that people like myself, to be fair, and almost certainly Ian and other folks who are early tech adopters, like my my Twitter ID is five digits long. I was I I was like my Twitter number when it was sequentially numbered was like thirteen thousand something. I was a very early adopter, and there is something very welcoming and the reason why i bring this up is because right now blue sky has that feel of early twitter when only the cool people are getting in and, and the thing that that makes is that only the people who get in are the people who know enough how to make an effort or how to talk to people or like you know go schmooze people like ian going give me an invite by the way ian give me an invite um to get in and this has this artificial it, it causes an elitism 
but with the elitism cause also comes with a generally greater level of competence about the subjects to which it is centered. So you get this kind of fever dream at the beginning. But then as more people come in, as it becomes popular, that effect goes away. And that causes some people to become less satisfied. It's, it's a horrible cycle. And one yeah. of the challenges with social networks is that with, like, the person who gets the most people onto their social network generally wins. Like it is a winner-takes-all social like area. Um, if you have a social, the thing that makes a social network more valuable is having more people on it, like more of your friends, more of your peers, more of your the people who you find interesting. It might be in a specific niche. It might be you know just people who who talk about the Fediverse. So in which case Ian will be like right there. Um, but if it's a specific niche, people will be interested. I think it would have a a better kind of uh, expectation of 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 it taking off a bit, but I am also happy to hear that its invite invite only thing is is having the effect that it's having, um, at least from the outside. Ryan, I hope that Ian decides to give his invite to me. Um, just to be clear, that we do have to close up. Um, I gather that I get one invite every week, and I've only been on there five days so um it might be a while sorry to say but i've 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 made notes okay i've made notes um okay so the last thoughts before i think this will this is an ongoing one and um i have so much more to say about the fediverse oh my goodness uh but let's hold that And it's now the end. So we have the shout outs. And I'm going to start with, I did this last time, but it's worth noting again that Corey Dr. Rowe is doing a series of conversations, including one in Manchester. So if you are in the Manchester area, uh, or there's one in London as well, but I can't remember the details. Um, but one in Manchester, I know because he's doing a conversation with me. Well, I'm doing a conversation with him on the 31st of May in Waterstones in Manchester in Deansgate. I'm going to pass to Ryan. Uh, for those of you who remember the first of the new series of Tech Grumps, which I was in, I have a spiteful shout out to the 24-hour ramen people who tried to take over London with NFTs and cheap noodles, Easy24 Ramen, who have done absolutely fucking nothing on any of their social medias for the last two months. Once they got the money, once they were out, there has been no activity. They have disappeared like a fart in the night. Wow. <laughs> wow. Amazing. I want well, I just want to do something that's a, a, probably a first for this podcast um, and, and let Ian know that um, at the start of June, me and my partner will be having a baby. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, we've just got, we don't know whether it'll be a girl or a boy, but we can definitely know it'll be one of those. Um, so, yes, that's arriving at the start of June um, and may keep me off the airwaves for a few weeks. <laughs> Oh, yes. I, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Congrats. I was going to say, I actually knew because um, someone told me at um, in Sambar, um, which you were meant to attend the event. Uh, so, uh, so, yes, but congratulations. And I look forward to seeing you in Manchester at some point, Tim. And obviously meeting oh, the rest of the family. So, okay. On that note... Uh, we're going to close this up. 
I'm going to say goodbye, and I'm going to let Tim say goodbye. Goodbye from me. And Ryan. Goodbye. And Hannah. Bye. Goodbye, and don't forget to like and subscribe <laughs> to us. Uh, there'll be more Tech Grumps once a month. The, the timing might change a little bit, but just subscribe via RSS and you'll love it.